Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey everybody, welcome to Impact Theory. You're here, my friends, because you believe that human potential is nearly limitless, but you know, as I do, that having potential is not the same as actually doing something with it. So our goal with this show and company is to introduce you to the people and ideas that are gonna help you actually execute on your dreams. All right, today's guest is a super level badass. Not only is she a full-time corporate attorney at global powerhouse Apple, she is undeniably one of the toughest humans alive. It wasn't enough for her just to be a standout attorney, so at 28, she dove headlong into the impossibly grueling sport of obstacle course racing, a sport where people actually die. And since beginning, she has racked up what is arguably the most impressive resume of any female in the sport. And her accomplishments prove that whatever men can do, women can do just as well. In her career, she's had 30 victories and more than 50 podiums. She's won the 24-hour World's Toughest Mudder three times, one of those victories coming just eight weeks, eight weeks after knee surgery. She was also the Spartan Race World Champion in 2013. She's been the Spartan Race Points Series Champion twice, and she has three times finished the Death Race, a race that is literally designed to break you and has the slogan, you may live. Having now also survived 2016, which she dubbed her year of healing after fracturing her femur from all of the racing and training, she has begun to discover yet another talent, sports commentating. Even though she could make a living as a sponsored athlete and commentator, she maintains her intense day job at Apple to ensure that she's challenged both body and mind. Please help me in welcoming the Pop-Tart and ketchup-craving race ninja who has been called the Michael Jordan of obstacle course racing, Amelia Boone. Amelia, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. It is an absolute pleasure. Yeah, I hope I can do that intro justice. (laughs) You've already done that intro justice. It's really, really crazy what you've accomplished. But I'll be honest, the thing that I'm most interested in, obviously 2016 was a brutal year for you, but reading your blogs about what you've been going through, I think is the thing that's going to be most valuable to people. Mm -hmm. You talk a lot about doing the hard things, but tell us what have you learned from rock bottom? Yeah, 2016 has been an interesting year. For me, it was was a fracture in the femur where I had an entire year plan and then just everything was wiped from that. And so for me, what I found is actually that hitting rock bottom, that's the time where you are forced to then really look inwards and discover who you are. It's great when you're on top, when you're riding this wave, when you're winning race after race, it's easy to ignore the hard things. It's easy to ignore your problems or to just push them aside or to think I'll deal with that later, or just you're riding this 
wave. And when it's, you're sitting there and it's just you and yourself, you some, you have to confront that. And so for me, that's what this entire year has been. And what's been so interesting to me actually is that more people have come out to me and said, yes, thank you. And you are relatable. And this has been so helpful to me. And so I'm learning that the more that I let people in and say, look, like I go through hard times too, that I hit rock bottom, um, that I suffer and that I, you know, am vulnerable, that people relate to that. And it's been amazing. Is that meaningful to you to be able to help other people through this by sharing your journey? I think so. I didn't start out that way. Kind of like when I started out with obstacle racing, I I didn't set out to be an athlete. It was for me, it was a fun jaunt with friends on a weekend. <laughs> a yeah. 10 mile obstacle right. course through mud, yeah. Right, jaunt. that it was just, it was like, hey, let's get electrocuted by these wires and cool and have yeah. a beer at the end and get a headband. But so I didn't intend for it to turn into a second career. Mm. Such as when I, you know, when I got injured, I didn't intend to, to necessarily help other people with it. But when I realized the way that I deal with things is through writing and mm. through blogging. And for me, it was almost a personal, a personal diary and a journal. And, and I'm like, if people read it, great. If they don't, fine. For me, it's all about the process and healing myself. And I've been incredible that it's been able to help other people. Yeah, it's amazing because when I started the research, I didn't know that you'd gotten injured. Mm-hmm. So I knew Tim and I had talked about you. He was on the podcast. Right. He was the one that put you on my radar and had said just, you know, the things that you'd accomplished were so incredible. And so we were like, oh, my God, we got to get her on the show. It could be really, really amazing. And I dive into the research and I'm hearing all the stuff that you win and, and all these interesting questions, which we will get to about, like, <laughs> why women do better in longer races, yeah. which is utterly fascinating to me. Um, and then sort of I discovered in real time in the research that you'd actually spent all of 2016 out with an injury. Mm-hmm. And then you like quintupled in interest for me because watching you process it out loud and really go through that and um, talk about things like fear and the lessons that you were learning from that was actually really motivating and inspiring for me. Um, what's a lesson that fear has taught you? I think that I have learned that if something is fearful to you, then you need to do it Mm. and you need to explore it. And fear is a very powerful emotion. And there were so many things that I was afraid of this past year with injury and- Like not being able to come back. Yeah, and I'm still 110% honest, Mm. I still struggle with that every single day. You lose that confidence as an athlete, whenever you are knocked off of your pedestal or whatever you're on your track and you're forced to kind of come back and and question whether or not you can quote unquote, get back to where you were, that's something that you really have to work through. And I've never really had to deal with that just self doubt. And I, so I think for me, fear is teaching me almost to reframe and to think that it's not getting back to where I was. It's shaping myself as a new person going forward and um, to realize and to embrace those opportunities. It's really incredible. You actually put something up on your mirror when the injury happened. I forget the name of the book, forgive me, but... um... Cheryl Strayed's Brave Enough. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Perfect. So here was a quote. Fear, thank you for being here. 
you're my indication that I'm doing what I need to do. Exactly. Why do you think it is that, because I am obsessed with that notion, like that really mm-hmm. sits at the heart of my being, and this show makes me incredibly anxious, and when we were originally talking about doing this, I was like, oh, dear God, like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't want to be in a camera. Literally, yeah. I, had, yeah. I truly had no desire to be out front. That was not what I wanted to right. do. Um, but because it was one of those things that scared me as much as it did, and I have a rule in my life because I try to avoid pain so frequently, uh, that if it scares me, then I have to do it just to become the person that I want to be, right? So, because I'm a person left to sort of my own natural inclinations, I'm very lazy, I'm very fearful, and I will just recede into the background and accomplish nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that the fear had something to do with stakes, and so I always put myself in that situation. When did you develop that notion of fear being a guiding light, and how are you using it now through what you're going through? Well, it's interesting because I actually, throughout childhood and growing up, I was not a risk taker. Mm. And I still, to this day, I don't consider myself a risk taker. But a lot of people would say, when you entered that first 24-hour race in New Jersey in December, and it was... 20 degrees when you were going through ice in the middle of the night. Is that not taking risks? That's a fair question. And uh, I think that what I've realized is I'm like, okay, well, it's a calculator risk. But no, um, (laughs) I try and justify it. But for me, confronting that fear, that first of all, the first time you do it, it's so, I mean, it's so paralyzing. Mm. But it becomes easier. And you realize that, and if you incorporate that, if you make it a practice, then the day-to-day things become easier. And so for me as a kid who was actually very fearful and very, I don't want to take risks, I want to stay inside this shell, and this is my life plan, and I literally, probably when I was 13 years old, had my entire life planned out. It is nowhere where I am right now. And thank God it's not. And I think that it's been through the experiences of challenging myself and through confronting that head on and embracing the fear and embracing the pain Mm -hmm. that I've then come to where I am. What I love is one of the stories you were telling, you said there's something to be said about the naivete of the beginner and that in the beginning I was actually less afraid of mm-hmm. obstacles than I am now, like the electricity, yeah. electric eel. <laughs> yeah. Does it make you black out at one point? It did, it did. So it's, there's this awful, awful... Says the non-risk taker. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's... Right. <laughs> it's also one of those things that I think that you look back now... And I'm, I see that obstacle, I'm petrified of it mm. because of those experiences that you associate it with. But I think at the time where you don't really know what's going on, you're like, sure, why not? And it's also the middle of the night and you're exhausted and you're not thinking straight, so you might as well get zapped in the head. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever had that thought. <laughs> but I think that I'm always a guiding light for me has always been that I want to seek that next challenge Mm -hmm. and that I want to constantly find the new hard thing. And so when I, at the ripe old age of 28, started to become a quote unquote professional athlete, it was just this new challenge for me. Mm -hmm. And it was, how can I do that? And so every, every, thing that I encountered, you know, whether it was that obstacle on that course that scared the hell out of me was going to be pushing myself to that new limit. Do you think about identity at all? Like your own identity? I do actually. And what's interesting is that 
I don't know how to introduce myself to people mm. because it also depends on who I'm talking to. That's interesting. Because when people, so you meet people at a party and they say, oh, uh, hi, I'm Amelia. Mm. Oh, Amelia, what do you do? And most people will give their profession. Most people mm. will say, five years ago, I said, oh, I'm Amelia, I'm an attorney. Or if I'm around a bunch of athletes, what do I say? Do I say I'm, I'm an obstacle racer? Do I say I'm a... So I go through this notion of, of what I am. Mm. And I kind of like that I don't have to define it and I don't want to define it. And I don't like the labels because I've realized now that I don't have to narrowly define myself in a box mm. and that I can constantly reinvent myself. And I feel like not enough people do that or give themselves the opportunities to do that. Yeah, reinvention to me has been really important in my life. Mm -hmm. And the, the way that I think about identity is um, maybe adjacent to that, which is I, I have this vision in my head about who I want to become. And part of the reason that I have to do the things that scare me is because the person that I want to become would do those things. Mm -hmm. um, and that as I tell myself, and I don't know like if this is just me or if a lot of people do this, but I'm always telling myself a story about myself, right? Like you're the type of person that does that. You get out of bed fast. You do this. You do things that scare you. All of that to sort of create this self-fulfilling prophecy in myself. So that's why it was so interesting for me to hear that, you know, you would think that as you're doing these obstacle races that they would get easier. So when you're saying that in some ways they actually get more difficult, um, that was really fascinating. And you have a super interesting way of dealing with that, which I'll call chunking. I don't know if, I don't know if you can use that word. I'll take that. I'm a huge Goonies fan. So anything that is like truffle shuffle and chunk, I'll, uh, You'll go I'll, I'll go with. Yes. <laughs> so you break things up into small pieces. Yeah. So I find that people get, if you look at the entirety of a task, it's very easy to get overwhelmed. And so for me, you start, you start a 24 hour race or you start a hundred mile race and you're, you look at the clock and you realize I'm two hours, I have 22 hours left to go and I'm exhausted right now. And that's overwhelming. That's when people quit. So instead in my mind, I think, okay, I'm going through, if I'm going through a really rough patch in a race because things ebbs, ebbs and flows, I think just get to the next obstacle, just get to the next obstacle, just get to the next lap and not think about the entire, like the grand scheme of things. Mm. It's just these little compartmentalizing things. So when you're going through so much pain and when you're going through hardship, that's the thing that keeps me sane, is just to not think about the end game, to not try and think about two days from now when this race will be over, but just the next task at hand. Is there a certain way that you want to be when it comes to pain? Like, I want to charge through pain, or what, how do you conceptualize pain? I make friends with pain. I think that pain is something that we're so fearful of. We spend so much money trying to avoid pain, and which is kind of funny because I think a lot of the, ri the rise of these, these endurance races and obstacle racing is, is kind of interesting. As our lives have become easier and we're able to avoid pain, people are actually paying to seek out pain. It's interesting, I've never thought of it like that. Right, um, there's a fantastic documentary that I'm, I'm part of uh, called The Rise of the Sufferfest that where they, <laughs> they actually, the, the director actually chronicles the rise of these races and oh. so it's a good look at it. But I make friends with pain because I think pain is something that teaches us so many lessons. And so during a race, if I'm like, okay, all right, my right hip kind of hurts right now. 
all right, right hip, how are you doing? And I, I actually will talk to my body and then you work through it. It's a process and I actually find that it changes. So there have been times where I started a 24 hour race and my calf started seizing up and I'm like, how am I gonna make it through 24 hours? Mm. 10 miles later, the calf was fine. It was on to the next thing. And wow. so there's such a mind body connection that if you can talk to your physical pain, I find it's much easier to deal with. Do you think mental toughness can be cultivated? I absolutely think so. So what's that process? For me, I think that it's, it's doing the hard things. It's mm. not taking the easy way out. Do you like make a list? Like these are the hard <laughs> things or? No, well, I think that the hard things are different for everyone. Mm. And I think that you kind of know because you go back to that notion of fear and if you're fearful of it, that's a hard thing for you. Mm. For instance, I realized very early on when I was trying to become an attorney that I always had this notion that I wanted to be a prosecutor and on, and on stage and things like that. And I realized I don't do public speaking very well and that I would seize up and it was awful for me. That's so I had to- I've seen you do public speaking very, very well. But it's one of those things that I've had to cultivate. Mm. And it's one of those things that I've had to practice. And so I think that, that the hard things, you know, give you cultivate that mental toughness and people say, okay, well, how do I, how do I make it a habit or how yeah. do I, how do I cultivate mental toughness? And I say that, well, that's what you do. You make it a habit is that you don't give yourself the option and something you, you pick something, put it into your routine, whether it's waking thir up 30 minutes earlier every day so you can actually get out the door to move your body and you just don't think about it and you don't give yourself the option to not do it. All right, talk to me about training in non-ideal conditions because mm -hmm. that's one of the tactics you use, right? Right, yes. So training when it's raining outside. There are a lot of people, if it's raining, if it's snowing, will say, I'll get on the treadmill today. Why? You know, like that's easy and mm. it's boring. Um, but if you're, so I love running when it's cold, running when it's dark. And because you know you're getting more tough, that's why you love it? It, well, it also part of me may, I feel more alive. I like to be out in nature and mm. so I feel more alive. But I also think that, yeah, it, it forces you to, to go through hard things in non ideal conditions that then, yes, indirectly help cultivate toughness. Toughness is a weird kind of nebulous word, and there's so many different things that can go into that. Mm. But I think what it does is that it cultivates a, a willingness and a drive and a discipline to get through those things. Because I think now I'm like, okay, I used to live in Chicago, and I would go out and run when it was negative 10 degrees. Whoa. And if I can do that, I can definitely go out and run in San Francisco when it's 60 degrees and rainy, right. you know? So it's all about comparisons. <laughs> so one of the um, writers that had written an article about you said, I don't know if, if you said this to him or if he just made it up, but he said, I, I think she runs in the rain and when it's cold because she knows that her competitors are packing it up and going inside. Is that true? <laughs> It maybe used to be true, but now no longer. I think maybe I let out all my secrets and now everyone else is doing it. But yeah, I mean, I, I used to, when I was training for World's Toughest Mudder that first year, and we all run in wetsuits because you have to because 
it's freezing cold and you're in and out of water and you lose all your body heat over 24 hours. So I would take my wetsuit out and go run around in Chicago when, you know, it was, it was 30 degrees and jump in and out of the lake. And and no one else was doing that. What a surprise. And And actually the, the police officers really didn't like it. So it was kind of weird to show. So, but those are the things that make you uncomfortable. Mm. And like, like we said, that uncomfortableness tells you, okay, that's what I need to be doing. So. What I love about that is it's so simple, right? So mm-hmm. how do you deal with the things that are uncomfortable, that are gonna, or that you need to get more tough? You go out and do them, right? So you right. set the alarm, you get up 30 minutes earlier, you put your wetsuit on, you run when it's rainy, you jump in the lake. Things that obviously are unpleasant, but mm-hmm. in their unpleasantness, actually they begin to toughen you. Have you read Angela Duckworth's book, Grit? No, I haven't. It's on. I have a list, like a list of books a mile long, and it's on there. It's moving up. Yeah, I mean, you're you could have been interviewed for the book. I don't think there's any argument about that. But it's it's a just an amazing scientific recounting of why it works, what's at play, like how you actually develop it. And I think she was really one of the first people to say that grit is like a muscle because I think people yeah. think that a lot of foundational things like internal fortitude, you either have or you don't. Mm -hmm. And she really laid out like that is just not true, that you really can develop your grit. Has it gotten easier for you to like jump in the lake, for instance, which I'm sure the first time was pretty hard? Or is it, has it actually maintained its difficulty, but you just demand it? It comes and goes. I think there are certain things that definitely get easier. Um, But then there are also things that I, it's funny, I don't, people always ask me if I do all the cold exposure and ice baths Mm. and things like that. And honestly, I have been so cold in all of these races and so miserable that I almost prefer, I'm like, ah, you know, unless there's a race on the line, <laughs> I kind of like my hot showers. And so <laughs> it's this give and take about when I'm willing to and when I'm not. But it, it definitely is. It's one of those things that I think that you can get out of practice if you're not constantly, you know, exposing yourself to those conditions that it can be very pleasant and great and and then you realize you're like oh no wait 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 let's flex that muscle again Mm. let's train it if you want a fighting chance against the competition you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world like shopify for whatever and wherever you want to sell from launching to going international shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level now i love everything about shopify because it makes it so easy for you to start run and grow your business It didn't used to be this easy. I'm telling you back in the day, it was a lot harder. I'm so jealous. Shopify powers more than 10% of all US e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly and efficiently choose Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash impact now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100 
thousand miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. That's interesting. Do you have a set routine that you do as you prepare for something? Do you cycle through those things? Like, now's the time to be cold. Now's the time to do ultra long distance. Like, how do you prep? What does that look like? Yeah, I think it, it depends. definitely depends on the race um, and exactly what I'm going for. But I think, yes, in terms of training, I cycle through various train points in the year in terms of building strength and then in terms of building mileage and then backing those down. Because what's interesting about obstacle racing is that you have to be such a well-rounded athlete and we have to mix this this ultimate mix of speed and strength and skill and endurance. And so you can't just, if you're just a, if you're a runner, if you go run a marathon, you never really need to train your upper body, but we're crawling over things and jumping over things. And so you have to be so well-rounded that it's kind of this fun little game of figuring out the right combination. I love that you call it a fun game. So people watching right now almost certainly are dismissing you as just being, well, she's so gifted athletically, of course she's doing yeah. well at this. But you actually couldn't do a pull-up when you started these no. courses, if I'm not mistaken. No, no. I, I was very, very weak in terms of absolute strength. I spent six months trying to do a pull-up to prepare for the That's race. Incredible. And I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And I went out to that race and I fell off all the obstacles. I had no strength and I loved it though, because to me, I all of a sudden had this new challenge in front of mm. me. I was like, I was really bad at that. Let's try and get better. God, I love that. And you know, I didn't come from a stellar athletic background or anything like that, but I all of a sudden found this new purpose. And I was when did you develop that, that, that you would look at something that you failed at, you tried for six months and still failed and go, wow, now I'm excited because I have this challenge? I think I've, a part of me has always had that. I don't, I, don't like, I don't like failure. Nobody likes failure. Fine. And so it's one of those things where I, it's almost like I wanted to write it. It was one of those things that I failed at that, and now it is going to be my new task mm. to, to achieve that, to go do that. And so, you know, I, I think that that was one of the, the first things that I realized that really drew me to this. So. Yeah, I loved when I came across that, because I did assume that, oh, yeah. you must have been athletically gifted. I mean, your physique is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. And as somebody, I mean, being at Quest and having worked in the health and fitness industry, like, I know physique. So reading that you had started so far back from that was really, really interesting. Because to me, when you hit that moment where you're really bad at something, you've got two choices. Yeah. And choice one is the easy choice. It's the ever-present choice, which is avoid. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. I did not like that. I don't like failure. Just yeah. like you said, everybody hates it. And most people do that left turn right there. And they say, okay, well, I'm right. not going to be doing that again. But there's a really interesting psychological principle, which is to say, okay, well, now I'm going to look at this as a challenge. I understand that the body, the mind can adapt. I'm going to develop this new skill. And people that are able to do that, either just they have it in them or they cultivate that in themselves, it, it's astonishing to see how far they end up going. Right. 
And to this day, I still have to do it. So for instance, uh, when I broke the femur, there was very little I could do physically because bum leg, of course. So, but I was, they said, you can get in the pool and you can swim with a pool buoy between your legs. And I don't know if you've ever spent any time swimming with a pool buoy between your legs, but it's really boring. But it was the only thing that I could do. And I'm not a swimmer. I don't frankly like swimming, but it was my option. And I, so, and I sat there and I go, all right, we're gonna make friends with the pool. Mm. And so really for, the, for this past year, I have like, to me, swimming is that hard thing, that failure thing, because I'm not good at it. And I don't, and I don't like not being good at things, but over this past year, I've grown to actually crave that time and in that pool and to do that. There are things that I'm awful at in my flip terms. I look like a drowning porpoise. And I mean, it's, it's really, really gnarly. If any if a swim coach looked at me, they'd be like, oh my God. But to me, it was a way, especially an injury, to mm. tackle a new challenge and to recognize and actually to be very humble about where I was and what I could do. And I think that that you know, makes you so appreciative of, of everything else in life, for sure. So other than swimming, what is something that you're taking on as a challenge? So this past year, I've actually gotten into meditation mm. as well, which is also something that I've always eschewed as who, uh, to me, running was my meditation. I always looked at my early morning runs as kind of my way to clear my mind. But the idea of sitting still and just thinking nothing to me was frightening. Mm. And so that's actually something I'm, I'm horrific at meditation. Most, sometimes I fall asleep. Sometimes I just like, I it's 10 minutes later and I realize that I've been planning my day. Oh crap. But I still do it every single day thinking that someday it will get easier. <laughs> and you're a big believer in the power of routine. I am a huge believer in the power of routine. I think that there is so there are, for me there are so many decisions that need to be made in life, mm. and you can encounter that idea of decision fatigue. So routine for me takes away those some of those decisions, so it just becomes automatic. And I feel best when I go through you know just have kind of a set plan, and. Um, so that to me is the power of routine is really taking away those, those decisions that you have to make up, make every morning. And so you can focus your energy on the big decisions on what really needs your, you know, your attention, not what am I going to eat today or what time am I going to wake up? So. Since your injury, have you thought at all differently about work and what you're doing as an attorney? Yes. Mm. And so for me, I, the injury made me very very, very grateful that I was more than just an athlete, yeah. you know, and that to me, it was a time to also recognize and reconnect to what I love about being an attorney as well. Though what's interesting to me is that I actually found it sometimes harder to work because I didn't have the other ball in the air, for instance, yeah, you've talked about that. that I am more productive when I am juggling multiple things. Why? I think it forces you to be efficient. That's interesting. Is that if you know, if I know, look, I have to get up tomorrow morning to train at four o'clock 
So I need to get in bed by X time. So I need to get all my work done, mm. my you know attorney work done by X time so I can do that. Whereas if you don't have that, then you're just, oh, I can procrastinate a little bit. Right. Or, oh, I can take my time, blah, blah, blah. So I found that I'm more productive when I am juggling multiple things. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about self-flagellation a little bit, which you've <laughs> written quite eloquently about. Right. Um, yeah, what, what have you learned? Yeah, so I've talked about this, I call it the merry-go-round of self-flagellation. Mm. So let's say you're feeling bad about something, you're feeling bad about a failure. For me, I sat there after, after the femur and I knew that it was my fault. It was, I had run myself into a fracture in my femur. Mm. And I went back through in my mind all of the ways that I could have changed that. And you get in this, on this merry-go-round, if I called it, of you already feel bad that you screwed up. Right. And that, you know, you, you wrecked your entire season. But then you feel bad because you feel bad. And so you beat yourself up over feeling bad and it just spirals into the circle and you can't get off of it. And so for me, I've had to kind of step back and almost detach myself and realize when I get into this story that I'm telling myself and just and just stop it. And it's really hard. I mean, and I think we all do it. Use? I think really I try to depersonalize it and detach it and to realize I almost think of myself as a third person and mm. say, okay, Amelia, you're on that right now and stop. If one of my friends came to me and said that they were doing that to themselves, I'd be like, get off it. <laughs> like that's the past. You can't change that. Right. So beating yourself up over something that happened in the past isn't going to change it. So what advice would you give to somebody in your shoes, a mm -hmm. true world-class athlete, they've had this catastrophic injury, mm -hmm. what, what's your advice to them? In, in that moment of uncertainty, when they don't know if they're going to be able to come back or not. I think really it's acceptance is, is where you need to end up. You talk about it in stages of grief. Mm. Um, you know, everyone talks about injury as kind of like the stages of grief after death, um, almost and not to be that dramatic. But to realize that it's okay how you're feeling and kick, scream, cry, do whatever it is you need to do, let it out, but give yourself a time limit. So I said after my injury, so I had, and, and I was miserable and I was, you know, just a bear to be around, but I told myself, okay, I'm going to give myself two weeks to be an awful person about this. And then you know what? I'm going to pick up and move on and say, what can I do now in this scenario? And really what it was and what I found is I cut myself off and then I looked at how can I make the best of, of this situation? And for me, that ended up in being able to do commentary work and being able to be on the course, be on the sidelines, support my fellow athletes and actually take joy in their, in, in their accomplishments, in their victories, instead of seeing them as competitors. Right. And so it's about reframing what you can do in that moment. All right, so you brought up strong women, which we have to go deep into. Yeah. Why do women do better the longer the race? Women are better at suffering. And I don't know if that's just because we, maybe childbirth, I don't know. Mm. I... I don't necessarily think that women are tougher. Women have more mental grit. But 
there's this definite phenomenon that you see is the longer the race gets, the gaps on the time between men and women tend to tend to you know lessen, mm. and you see a lot of women winning very long races outright. So I think that maybe you know I don't have the if I had the answers. I would probably be in a different field, <laughs> you know, I'd be like in, you know, some type of psychological expert and so-and-so or, or physiological expert. But for me, I've really found that women have this ability to really pull down deep. Um, and I think for me, I realized that there's a lot of things physically that I can't do mm. on the same level as men. From so, like a brute strength perspective. From brute strength, you know, I'm not going to compete with dudes in a squat contest or a right. bench press, you know, it's just, it's not going to happen. But what I can do is outlast you. And so that is something that I really, I don't know, maybe it's a chip on my shoulder, but that's really what drives me through those, mm. those races. And I think that maybe women, you know, there've been so many instances where, we are told we can't or we haven't or that's not what things that you're good at that you carry that chip on your shoulder and so in these long races it comes out i love that talk to me about so how do you use a chip on your shoulder effectively and not let it be just bitterness <laughs> exactly i think that's a, i think that's a very it's a very hard fine line mm. to to not cross over into i think for me it's always thinking you're the underdog is an effective way to do it, even when you're not. Everyone likes being the underdog. Right. I mean, and I loved it when I first came into this and nobody knows who you are and then all of a sudden you're there and bam, and who right. is this woman? But it's keeping that underdog mentality mm. even when you're not. And I think for me when, for instance, when I was also on the top of the sport and winning everything and doing that, I still always try to view myself as the underdog. And that's hard to do because you have the target on your back. Mm. But just, just keeping that mentality for me has been very helpful. And you said that women can really dig deep. Is there any of that that you can like, articulate? Is, so I know you use a distraction technique right. to keep yourself focused. What are some other techniques that, you, that, that are the act of digging deep? Yeah, for me, I think the, the digging deep in races also comes up in interacting with those around you. So the distraction in terms of, you know, compartmentalizing, chunking the race, but then also just stopping to think entirely. And by doing that, by interacting with those racers around you. So that's a great thing about long races is that it's, you have time to kind of chat with people <laughs> because you're out there for so long, you know, right. and you're going at a slow enough pace. And so I always try and, you know, if I'm running the same pace, another competitor, how are you doing? Where are you from? Like, how are you feeling? And getting to know them because, mm. it, and sooner or later you realize that a few miles have gone by and you haven't been thinking about yourself. Mm. You've been thinking about other people. And I think that that's very powerful is if you take the focus off of yourself and focus on others you can almost ignore the pain that you're going through. So I don't know. I mean, maybe women, as women are more stereotypically, more nurturing, more caring, mm. that ability to then tap into other people. Though I don't know, no one's ever described me as extremely nurturing. It's not like my <laughs> number one attribute. But I uh, do generally enjoy you know, getting to know other people right. and learning about other people. So. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And to your point about, I guess, if we could really explain this, we'd be in a different field. But right. as somebody who's married to a woman who who is just gritty beyond yeah. reason, and, uh, <laughs> really beyond reason, and will, to the point, like you, she'll get injured and she'll keep working out and she'll be like, yeah, 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 I'm deaf tomorrow. For sure I'm taking tomorrow off. <laughs> and I wake up to the sound of like weights clanking right. down and I'm like, wait a second, I thought you were taking the day off. Yeah, no, I felt good. And I just, yeah. so it's, uh, her, like, I pride myself on my ability yeah. to suffer. I can suffer, my friend. Right. But my wife, it's, it's, <laughs> it is inhuman. I mean, it's really crazy. It is. But what's interesting and what I've learned is that there is a difference. What, the thing that has made me so great at this sport, my ability to suffer, my ability to embrace pain is also my greatest downfall. Mm. It's also my greatest weakness because I will push myself past the part point of being smart. And that is what has led to injury for me. And so this past year I've had to realize like it's okay to rest. It's okay to take a few days. It's okay to take a few weeks or a few months and let your and actually take care of your body. And that's almost become such a dirty word for some of us. A four-letter word of rest is like the worst four-letter word out there. And so it's sometimes the hardest thing, the hardest thing for me this past year has been to take care of my body. And so it's interesting how that goes around and comes around. Do you ever struggle with knowing if you're resting because it's the right thing or you're resting because you want to be lazy? No, I don't. I, That's my big downfall. Really? That's why I push myself past the point of what some people would consider reasonable because in my head is a voice that is so catastrophically lazy that I have to push, like my wife will be telling me, you know, you're sick, you need to rest. You need, I can't let myself do it because that's what I want so badly. And I've learned that hmm. doing what feels good right. is rarely the thing that moves me towards my goals. Right. Yeah, I struggle more with that. If I'm resting, I feel lazy and I hate that, mm. you know, because you, and I'm saying we've, we've associated rest with laziness, which isn't the case right. necessarily. So I try, I'm trying to like create this Twitter movement of like epic rest days or like rest day brags where because people go out there and they're like, oh, I'm bragging about this 30 miler. I just crushed and it's so epic, bro. And I'm like, you know what? I walked a thousand steps today. I ate a tub of ice cream, hashtag rest day brass. <laughs> you know, it's not so bad. It's about balance, right? right. <laughs> no, that's, that's really interesting. And my wife and I actually get in fights with each other because from the, the rational perspective, the other person yeah. seems crazy. Right. So when she's pushing herself to ridiculous extremes, I'm like, what are you doing? And her retort is always, well, this is exactly what you do when you're sick. Exactly. So it's like, okay, well, that's a little harder to argue. It's very easy for me to dish out advice to other people. It's so hard for me to take it. Mm. And so I think that that's also something I've really tried to do this past year is try to live, live authentically, to, to lead by example, and to, to make sure that if I'm telling somebody something, that this is what they should do X, Y, and Z, that I'm also doing it myself. Because I feel like there are so many people out there that can spew advice and they can set up a life that looks so perfect on the outside, mm. you know, you can create anything through social media, but it's not authentic. And there's that weird disconnect and I hate that. And so for me this past year, especially admitting vulnerability 
and admitting when I'm struggling is part of that entire trying to live authentically. What would you say to a young girl who struggles with just feeling inadequate? I can't imagine being you know, a teenager right now. Mm. And I remember how hard it was for me at that age. And now with social media, I just, I mean, it boggles my mind. And so I think, especially for, for younger girls, it's about don't limit yourself, don't label yourself, and constantly try and break boundaries and barriers. And you don't have to choose. So I think for me, one of the greatest compliments I can get, and I never set out for this, are people that come to me and parents that come to me and say, we struggle for female role models in this world. Thank you for being a female role model for our daughter, mm. somebody that can use their brains, can use their body. And I never set out to be a role model, but to me that's so powerful. And so I would, you know, especially for young, for younger girls is that don't label yourself, don't give in to what is popular because what's popular is definitely not necessarily not what's right. And so challenge yourself physically, challenge yourself mentally, and, you know, look to break those barriers. And so that, you know, to me is, you see the strong, when I see images of strong girls like coming to races, you have all these girls now interested in obstacle racing and that's phenomenal to me because it's about being functional. It's not about looking a certain way, it's about what your body can do for you and achieving things and carrying heavy things and surviving hours in the woods, so. <laughs> Uh, it, uh, wow, it really is a pretty incredible, incredible test. Talk to me, though, about when racing stopped being fun for you, at yeah. least for a minute. Yeah, so people always ask me, now, would you quit being an attorney to be a full-time racer? Mm -hmm. And I never really seriously considered it for a number of reasons, but one of them is also racing for me has always been the stress release. It's always been kind of my outlet. And as soon as you start making it, you know, your, your bread and what puts food on the table, it becomes not fun. And so that was a reason why I always kind of like kept How do you think that, that robs the fun out of it? Well, because no longer is just winning just a cool thing, you know? It's then winning becomes the expectation. Mm. And there's that pressure that surrounds it. And so I avoided that scenario. But I think for me... Racing, I went through a period where racing stopped being fun because I felt like if I wasn't winning, I was letting everyone else down. Mm. That it was expected that I was on the top of that podium. Right. And that all of a sudden when I got fourth at Spartan World Race World Championships, people, and I was supposed to win, it was like, what happened to Amelia? Yeah. And, and I was just like, guys, I got fourth and <laughs> it's actually not so bad I know but it was this all of a sudden what I realized is I was letting other people's expectations get to me right as opposed to just thinking about myself right. I race because I love it whether that's winning a race or whether that's coming in dead last or whether that's doing a race on crutches you know so it's really trying to just harness in on the original reasons that I started all of this. If you had to define confidence, how would you define it? 
Confidence for me is not making apologies for how you're living. Not even feeling like you have to or just not doing it? Just being able to make decisions and to own that and to not care about all the noise out there. And they may be the wrong decisions, but you need to stand by them for me. All right. When you had the injury and everything, you said that it really, really shook your confidence. How did you rebuild it? Like, what does that process look like? Honestly, I'm still working through it. (laughs) So I'll let you know in a few months. But uh, (laughs) it's... um, to me, it's celebrating the little victories, mm. for sure. Um, the first time that and I- letting was, those build like momentum and confidence yes, in you? Yes, for sure. Because every single little victory is going to create that bigger sense of, of self. So that first run back where I did a mile and it was like high five. I felt like I had just run 100 miles, but it was that little wave that just- mm that if you can keep building on those, and unfortunately it's never gonna be a smooth linear, linear progression. And so those little setbacks are the times where you need to realize, okay, it's just a blip on the radar. And so it's kinda gonna look like this, but as long as you can kinda see that goal towards the end and embrace that process, that's really how I've been rebuilding it. That's really incredible. If you were, in Stephen Hawking's situation, Mm -hmm. what would you shift your attention to? I would, yeah, so I've actually asked, if I couldn't race and if I couldn't express myself physically, because I've talked about is that I've, when I haven't been able to use my legs, I've had to use my voice. Mm. And so what's really been empowering for me this past year is to be an advocate for the sport, be an advocate for obstacle racing. It's such a new sport. And we have such an opportunity as athletes to help shape it and where it goes. And will it make it to the Olympics or what will it do? So for me, it would be shaping that. And also really, I'm really passionate about women in sport and about women in, you know, women equality in sport, things like that. And so it's using that voice. And how do you think we get to that? (laughs) How do we, man, I mean, that's been a question for how many years at this point? But it's really... We've come a long way, but it's really just more and more. It's women standing up, but it's also men standing up. Um, you know, it's everyone, regardless of of making sure that you know prize purses for women are the same across genders. You see some sports where men get a hundred thousand dollars and women get fifty thousand mm. dollars for winning the same freaking race. Like I don't get it, and so that is something that. There needs to be there needs to be a constant dialogue about it, um, and unfortunately, you know, we're still not there, but we're getting there. So I know decorum is going to force you to give me a really humble answer to this question, and, and I'll maybe push you a bit. But what do you think your impact has been by you beat the vast majority of the men that you race against? I mean, the vast majority. Mm-hmm. So do you think that's helping? Do we need more people that are playing at that level that can really show up and and dazzle? Quite frankly what I would want the impact to be is to start to normalize that conversation because people will say, oh my God, yeah, they, oh my God, she got second overall or she, she won that 50K outright. Like it's some crazy strange thing. Mm. And that's great. It brings attention to it. But 
was if we keep thinking about that as an outlier, it's not going to shift. We need to be like, look, dude, that woman won. That's awesome. That's cool. That's a woman won outright. And if we can normalize that, then that's when I think we've really made progress. Yeah, what's fascinating, have you seen the studies that they've done on, on throwing like a girl, quote unquote? Of, uh, some of them, but they keep emerging, so I don't know exactly which study. <laughs> just that it's, it's so incredible. It has nothing to do with being a girl, and right. it has only to do with whether you keep throwing or not. And yeah. that boys tend to keep throwing, and girls are encouraged to go do other things, yeah. and so they just stop. And that boys, when they first start throwing, throw like a girl. And it's just that sheer repetition. And when yeah. you were saying, like, really push through the boundaries, that that's what you would want for a young yeah. woman, like... That, to me, you want to talk about getting equality in the sport. Yeah. Honestly, I think there, there really is only one answer. So I always play a game with myself yeah. called No Bullshit, What Would It Take? Right. So No Bullshit, What Would It Take for um, female athletics and male athletics to be on par? I think it takes you. It takes people mm-hmm. like you that show up. They play to win. They push the boundaries. They show that they're able to play at a level that's impressive to watch, right? Right. So I look at you, and I'm not inspired because you're a woman. I'm inspired because you're a badass. Yeah. Right, and that it—that's what I want. I'm not because I'm bad. At, you know, I feel like turns <laughs> over. I think you but can say that. I want it to be regardless of gender. Right. You know that I want it to be because you're right. Because so I grew up playing softball, and so I'm sure I threw like a girl at first, but I I throw. I was a pitcher, you know, and now like I play softball very well. It's it's normalizing that and breaking down where we don't see the gender anymore. But unfortunately. To not see the gender, we almost for a while have to be hypersensitive to it. Or that's at least the realm that we're in right now. And so how do we shift from that hypersensitivity to then being blind to it? Yeah, I mean, so trust me, I do not wish Stephen Hawking upon you. (laughs) But the voice that you have learned to speak in, and I think other women are going to see that, and they're going to realize that that's got to be a part of the strategy of finding that equality is to, to be able to speak out, to encourage them to push the boundaries, just to say that they can do it, that it's a valid choice, mm-hmm. um, I think is, is going to go a long way towards doing that, getting more people adopting it early, developing their prowess, and then you know we can see really what they're capable of doing, which is pretty incredible. And just seeing them blossom in these endurance um, events, I think is really going to make people yeah. question their own assumptions about what women are capable of. Yeah, we just had an, an ultra runner in um, Texas in this 100K. She won it outright. Wow. She won it outright. And you're seeing this, you're seeing this more and more. And it's, it's one of those things to, to keep that conversation going that I think is really, is really important. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, I'll be very interested to see how far we can take this. And I hope that you certainly stay very, very invested in the sport, whether it's yeah. competing, commentating. Obviously, you won't be able to compete forever, but I right. think that voice is, is pretty nice. I don't know. You know, I, the, the, the thing about endurance sports is that you tend to peak later on. So nice. I'm always like, oh, I'm 33 and I feel so broken. I'm like, no, 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 I'm gonna, still doing this as long as it's fun and, you know, as long as my body lets me. So. That's awesome. I'm excited for the ride. <laughs> All right. What's the impact you want to have on the world? Oh God, that's such a good question because I think that the impact that you think that you want isn't always the impact that you end up having. And if you'd asked me that question 10 years ago, 
I mean, I would have given you a completely different answer. What would the answer have been 10 years ago? Oh, it would have been, it would have been be a partner at a law firm and, you know, have my 2.5 kids and, you know, married and, but it, like, it was the right. standard dream or whatever. Right. And I, and I realize now that what I see, what I want to do is live authentically, lead by example. And also what I've really learned and to, to know that you don't have to fit in these boxes and that you may not be able to have it all, but there are opportunities there to always kind of pivot and to reinvent yourself. And that, especially for young girls, is you don't have to choose. You don't have to choose brains. You don't have to choose beauty. You don't have to choose strength. Like you can have them all and you can incorporate those into your life. And for me, it's not having this massive global impact. It's the small little connections that I make to people through all of this, to the girls running those obstacle races that are 10, 11 out there, that I can have those impacts on those little, those little impacts on people's lives, then I think that adds up to the big one. Mm, that's incredible. All right, where can these guys find you online? Twitter, at Amelia Boone. I'm on Instagram at ARBoone11, Facebook. I have a website that desperately always needs updating. But so has amazing blog content. I mean, Thank really, you. really great. Thank you. Yeah, so my blog, AmeliaBooneRacing.com, you can find it there. And I don't get to write as often as I would like, but it's one of my favorite things. And your blog is titled in Latin. It is. What does that stand for? So Race Ipsa Loquitur is a, is a, is a doctrine in, in, um, in the law. It means the thing speaks for itself. And so, and it was a play cool. on race, which is R-E-S, yeah. and then I made it R-A-C-E. So I was, I was incorporating a little law. In That's there. good. I like it. <laughs> Amelia, thank you so thank much for you. coming on the show. Thanks it was absolutely incredible. Thank you. All right. Guys, you're going to want to dive into her world on this one. It is absolutely incredible. And what you're going to see is somebody who has really found their voice both physically and just from the perspective of being able to articulate things for people. And what she does physically is unbelievable. And it will make you challenge every assumption you have about what a human can do, let alone what a woman can do. And when you see the footage of her crying in the ice cold river and she just keeps going in one of the death races, which she has completed three times, by the way. It is absolutely astonishing to watch a human push the boundaries. And when she said that, I hope that you guys got the chills like I did. That is unbelievable to encourage people to push boundaries. I hope you guys are pushing the boundaries in your life, not accepting limitations, pushing your mind as hard as you push your body. This is somebody who is a role model for me, to be certain, and I hope as a role model for many, many people. Guys, dive in. She will change your life if you let her. All right, it's a weekly show, so be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Thank you again so much. What a pleasure. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Impact Theory. If this content is adding value to your life, our one ask is that you go to iTunes and Stitcher and rate and review. Not only does that help us build this community, which at the end of the day is all we care about, but it also helps us get even more amazing guests on here to share their knowledge with all of us. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this community. And until next time, be legendary, my friends.